Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today is going to be a little bit different, and I'm going to try doing this once a week, that we're not going to be going through one book of the Bible or one chapter at a time, but we're going to be looking at different chapters and looking at a theme that connects all of these chapters. So I'm going to be bringing you a message today, and the message today is the Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. God is your shepherd, and God is our shepherd. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 23, Jeremiah chapter 23, Zechariah chapter 11, and John chapter 10. We're going to be looking back into the Old Covenant and also into the New Covenant. For some of you, you know that is the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. And we're going to be looking how this understanding as God is our shepherd is connected all the way through. And one of the most beautiful understandings of God is as our shepherd. We see him as described as a father. We see him described as a husband. We understand him as the only God. We understand him in many different ways. Our protector, our provider, our sustainer. When you look at those characteristics that I just described there, our protector, our provider, our sustainer, our healer, the one that gives us guidance, that those characteristics really is what a shepherd does for the sheep. And now we're going to see this written in Psalm chapter 23 in such a beautiful way that all around the world, people know of this psalm. And for most people, if I ask them, what is your favorite psalm, they will say Psalm chapter 23. So Alan, who is in the studio with me today, if you don't mind, Alan, reading Psalm chapter 23. All right, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Sometimes when we're in deep issues in our lives and we have problems and difficulties, we go to Psalm chapter 23. And the Holy Spirit ministers through God's word in such a powerful way of what David is saying. David was a shepherd boy. Being a shepherd is not something that's prestigious. Today, we do not aspire for our children to grow up to be shepherds. But here, he is describing God as his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. How could David do this? And remember about David. David is the only man in the Bible, Old Covenant, New Covenant, that is described as as a man after God's own heart. 
he grew up taking care of the sheep. And as he was taking care of his sheep, something came within side of David to understand that God is my shepherd, the way that I look after them. If I'm a good shepherd, I have to protect them, provide for them, guide them, sustain them, feed them if they're injured to bring healing to them. And he looked at his life and then he looked at God and says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he said this, he's a young man and he wrote this psalm. And it's a, again, it's not a prestigious occupation. In fact, when, when the prophet came to Jesse, when Samuel came in order to find out who's going to be the next king of Israel because God sent him to the house of Jesse, Jesse did not even consider David. He called every other son. But David was in the field taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, isn't there any other among your sons. Do you have any other sons? And he sent for David that was in the field watching the sheep. And when Samuel saw David, David, he said, this is the one. God spoke to Samuel, this is the one that will be king over Israel. I have removed my anointing from Shaul, from Saul. I will put it on David and his kingdom will be established forever. And the Messiah would come through the house of David, from the family of David, he would be known as the son of David. So when you look at Psalm chapter 23, it should speak volumes to your life that the God of the universe, the God that created all things, the only God that sustains all of creation, that David, a man after God's own heart, who was a shepherd, is looking up into heaven and he's singing a song that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you don't get anything else on this message here today, then this concept, if God is watching over your life, there is not anything in your life that you should be in want of because he is there watching, guiding, providing, protecting, healing, sustaining, Everything in our life is in the hands of God. And if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why would I ever walk in fear? Why would I ever walk in discouragement? There are times that I'm discouraged. And right, right now, I'm going through a time of discouragement. But when I look at God as my shepherd, I can place everything into the hands of God and know that God is sustaining me through this time of discouragement, and God will bring me through it. God will bring me through the trial that I'm in right now. If I have fear, I know that God is my shepherd, and God has not given me a spirit of fear. I can trust him. I can release my life into his hands, and God is the one watching over my life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Those are the concepts that we see in the New Covenant that are coming out of the old covenant. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God is with me. That has to arise within your soul, within your spirit, within your faith, in your walk with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.
The Lord prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's not saying that their enemies are going to be taken away from you. But David, as a shepherd, understood there were always enemies all around. There were, there were wild animals that could destroy the sheep at any time. However, he's watching over them. And if he could take care of his sheep, how much more can God take care of the life of David? David went through difficult times within his life, very difficult, discouraging times in his life. But as long as God is his shepherd, he could understand, I shall not want. If God is for me, who can be against me? I want that to be an overriding theme in everything that you do in your life, and your walk with God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let faith arise within you. Faith is not getting what you want. Faith is not having the ability always to see with your own eyes something that you're wanting in your life. True faith is an unconditional faith that trusts God at all times that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to trust him and I know that he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I may be praying that all of my enemies and all of my troubles and difficulties may be gone right now. But God is the one that's going to prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to trust him unconditionally. I'm going to walk in faith knowing that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And look at verse 6 that Alan read to us. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He understood this as a young man, and he's going to have to understand that the rest of his life. He even had a time in his life that his own son is trying to kill him and murder him. He's going to have to go back to the realization, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you imagine that situation within your own life? And the last thing that you would want is for your son to be defeated because if by defeating your son, it means possibly that he's going to be taken out. He's going to have to trust God throughout his life, understand that the Lord is my shepherd, and walk in an unconditional faith in God. Let that be your faith. Let that be your prayer. Never walk away from this understanding. God is watching over my life. He is taking care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Now, there are two concepts in the Old Covenant, the Hebrew Scriptures, describing spiritual leaders that you also see in the New Covenant that are general terms, elders and shepherds. As God is our shepherd, God gave shepherds to the nation of Israel. He gave shepherds to the nation of Judah. He gave elders that stand at the gates and make decisions. When you go to the New Covenant, you see shepherds and elders in a general context as well. Shepherds mean that's where the word pastors come from, ones that look over the flock. Elders, we see that elders were appointed by Paul when he started a community of faith. His name was also Shaul, later pronounced Paul in the Greek-speaking world. 
you would see that wherever he started a church, he would place elders over them, spiritual leaders that could guide and make godly decisions based upon God's word. You see qualifications for elders. You see this concept of shepherds that is almost synonymous with the term elder as we go through the book of Acts. But you see these concepts in the Old Covenant as well. Specifically, you see priests, prophets, and kings that are guiding the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But in a general term, you see them as shepherds. And we're going to read in Jeremiah chapter 23 that as we go through this message today will hopefully make sense to you in such a real way when we get to John chapter 10. But Israel, or more specifically here, the Jewish people, the nation will be destroyed because of the shepherds. The shepherds are not representing God. The shepherds are not hearing the voice of God and leading the sheep in the right direction. And the sheep are going to be destroyed because of the shepherds. And then there's going to come a promise that one day God's going to give them faithful shepherds. And then there's going to become this prophecy that is so incredible about the branch that's going to come. And we're going to talk about that as well. So if, if we will look at Jeremiah chapter 23, and Alan, if you can read the first six verses. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Praise the Lord. This is so incredible, and I'm going to have some dialogue with Alan here as we look at this passage here. We read Psalm 23. David is talking about the Lord is my shepherd. I talked to you about a general term for leaders in the Old Covenant is a shepherd. When you look at verse 1, Alan, why are the sheep being scattered? Why are they being destroyed? What is the problem? The shepherds are, are not attending to them correctly. They're leading them, it looks like, the wrong way. And it says, you know, destroying and scattering. They're not doing their job, which is, is to protect and lead them to those quiet waters and pastures and, and make sure, that, you know, enemies around them are, are not devouring them, like you so eloquently put it on, on Psalms 23. Yeah, it's really the, the shepherd's number one job is to take care of the sheep when danger is around them all the time, and they're not doing that. Right. And you see this in verse 2 as well. As you look at verse 1 and 2, that's what you're describing. And think about this. The Lord is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that's watching over Israel. 
Remember, Israel, the northern kingdom, is destroyed at the time of Jeremiah. Now we're just dealing with Judah and the Jewish people, which includes the tribe of Benjamin, and also all the people from all the tribes in the northern kingdom fled into Judah as well. But the reason why the people are scattered and the reason why they are driven away is because of the shepherds. If we are shepherds, if God has given to us the responsibility to take care of the flock, it needs to be a holy understanding that we're representing God to the people and the sense of guiding them in the right way. When you get to the new covenant, the concept of shepherd does not leave. We see this concept of pastor. That's where the word shepherd comes from, one that is watching over the flock. And the only way that a person can be a good pastor, a good shepherd, is that if they are speaking for God, because he is the good shepherd. The only way that I can lead the flock in the right way and they go in the right direction, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. So what I want to relate to you, if the shepherds are not living and preaching and teaching the right things, what happens to the sheep? They get destroyed. They get scattered. The enemy comes in and ravages the sheep. And this is what happened to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people. And if you look at verses 1 and 2, who is responsible for this is the shepherds. Now, if you go into 2 Timothy, think with me for a moment. Paul's talking in his last letter to Timothy, the day is coming when they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. And it talks about tickling their ears, giving the people what they want to hear. But he says to Timothy, you preach the word, reprove, rebuke, encourage. So what Paul is saying to Timothy there's a time that is coming that the sheep are not wanting to hear the word of God. They want to accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. They want to have a message that they want to hear. They don't want to hear the word of God. But Paul is saying to Timothy, you have a charge upon your life. In fact, he charges them in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You preach the word. Think about the day that we're living in. Israel and Judah got destroyed because of the shepherds. The shepherds were not representing God. They were giving a false message, false prophecies, leading the people in the wrong way. What were they preaching and teaching? They were preaching peace and prosperity in the midst of massive sin and rebellion against God. And I want to say this, that this is consistent throughout God's Word. The only message that we need to hear in a society, in a country, in a nation, in a people group, in a community of faith that is rebelling against the word of God, the only message that we can bring to them is a message of repentance. We cannot bring a message of peace and prosperity. We cannot go out and start prophesying that God's going to bring about prosperity in the midst of rebellion against God. And I'm talking about, in the context here, the people of God. Let's not even worry about the world and the society that rejects God and does not acknowledge him. When we look at the sheep being scattered, we're looking at the Jewish people that were under a covenant relationship with God. 
that David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They did not have a relationship with God. What was the responsibility of the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the Jewish people, is to call them to repentance back to God. But instead, they were preaching prosperity. They were preaching messages that would not focus on them coming back to God, but that what what they actually are saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is saying, we're the problem. We have to repent. We have to come back to God according to what he is saying. But God is with us. They are saying, we have the temple of the Lord. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 7, you will see that the shepherds are saying, the priests, that if you will say three times in the temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, that the protection of God will be upon your life. The blessing of God will be upon your life. God will never allow us to be destroyed because we have God's temple. How could God allow Babylonians to come in and destroy? Do you destroy us as a people? We have the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah says, no, amend your ways, change your life, change the way that you're living. If you change the way that you're living, God will hear your prayers. Now, I want to apply this for a second, Alan, to the day that we're living in today. I try not to do this too often. I always, First of all, we want to look at what it meant in that day. What it meant in that day is that the message of Jeremiah, which was a message of repentance, was being rejected by the shepherds. And the shepherds, if you go through Jeremiah, are saying, peace, prosperity, do not listen to this message of repentance. Everything is okay. They are the shepherds that are destroying the sheep. We can take that principle of what it meant, and now let's look at what it means for us today. So work with me, Alan. Mm -hmm. We're living in a Western world, in a church culture, that the message of coming into the church is not a message of repentance, but it's a message of what God can do for you. And discipleship is not about denying yourself, dying to yourself, taking up your own cross, and following the good shepherd, Jesus, Yeshua. But it's about what God can do for you, and everything is about the buildings and the properties and your, your benefit that God is trying to propel you higher and higher and your influence and what God has done for you. And there is a sense that a false message is going forth. And I want to qualify with this. I'm not saying that every church is doing this. But I'm saying we have been pulled into a trap that we're not preaching repenting before God and embracing God's salvation and coming into the body of the Messiah through repentance and surrendering our lives to God and say, God, here am I. Use me. You are the potter. I am the clay. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, this life is not about me. It's all about you. Somewhere that message is disappearing from our pulpits and from our teaching. In fact, if you get into the small groups and the teachings, when's the last time you've been in a small group? It's been about repentance or the last time that you've studied a book of the Bible. And this is what I want to talk about for a moment. Alan, can you give me some thoughts concerning that? Yeah, I think when you were bringing this up, I, I thought of some extreme examples, you know, not so recently, but in our modern day, at least here in the Western culture of 
of, you know, you hear these really extreme cults that have some sort of biblical basis to start with, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's like you were saying with Timothy, they get into these ears that want to hear certain things, they want to hear what they want to hear, and, and you see lives destroyed, you see families destroyed, you know, when you look at the, the verse 1, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep. You know, these are examples of extreme lives that actually people die or they do the suicides because these shepherds have led them down this path. And then they're scattering them. You know, the families are scattered. And to put it back to what you mentioned, you know, with the faith and prosperity sort of movement, you see that as well. You know, send me this amount of money and you'll have your healing when it doesn't happen or when they someone maybe empties their bank account. I've heard of stories of, you know, people that take their life savings and send it to someone and then all of a sudden they're destroyed because that shepherd had led them in the wrong way to believe the wrong thing and had not taught repentance in the Word of God. And it, it's really fascinating to see. And, it, and again, it starts with that shepherd telling them what they want to hear and what they think they're going to respond to. And a lot of times it's for personal gain or selfish gain. And I think I, and, and you could tell me better on this with the, the Israel um, leaders and shepherds during this time, but it seems like they didn't want to hear that they needed to change. And they said, no, we're good. We have the Lord here, the temple. And we don't want to come out with a hard message to the people. Everything's going well right now. And Jeremiah, you're wrong. Because, and, and maybe in their heart, they knew that he was right. But they didn't want to have that hard conversation. And I think pastors and, and teachers and shepherds in this day and age don't want to have those hard conversations on the pulpit to their their flock they want to be politically correct you want to have a feel-good message that when that's not what the flock needs to hear they need to hear you're going the wrong way i have this visual in my head of sheep in a field and then there's like a dark wooded corner and maybe you see some red eyes of a wolf over there or something people are going towards that wolf and if you're a shepherd you got to say come back here you know maybe come and grab that sheep to pull them back because you know what's best but nowadays, pastors are, are leading in that way, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's amazing to see how far it's gone. Now, Alan, you mentioned cultic groups. Most cultic groups start off in a way that you have a shepherd that is starting with the right message, but he gets away from the message, and people follow that person blindly, and then everything starts to become about them. You also talked about the prosperity movement. And I've said over and over, if anything, anybody, any message gets your eyes off of Yeshua, the Messiah, the salvation of God, run from that. That is not God speaking to your life. And the prosperity message came out of evangelicalism. Many great believers within that movement that have seen that this is not the totality of what God is saying. This is not the focus of our lives. But let's talk in the context of the evangelical movement. The evangelical movement of people that believe the Bible is the word of God, they believe in one God, salvation through Christ, through the Messiah, there's only one way to God. And in that context, even in that context, we have to be careful as shepherds, and I'm talking to myself. I'm not, just, I'm not trying to point a finger at someone else, but I'm talking to, about myself primarily. Am I leading the sheep in the right way that honors God, that honors his character, and that represents the word of God? One of the last statements that Isaiah said to the Jewish people before his death is in Isaiah 66. And he says, 
to this one I will look. God is sending a message to the Jewish people. It's not about a temple, but to this one I will look. I want someone that is humble, someone that is broken in spirit, and someone that trembles at my word. And as a shepherd within the evangelical movement, people that believe the Bible is the word of God, that believe in the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God that has brought the Messiah to us, and there's only eternal salvation through his name. That in that context, as shepherds, we know the truth. We have to be careful that we do not get going the wrong direction, misguided, and going down this trail and that trail, but that we get back to the Word of God and that we're leading the sheep in the right way. That's the reason why I reference repentance here. Because repentance was the message of Jeremiah that was being rejected by the shepherds. And the problem that I'm seeing within the evangelical movement among us, and I'm going to use my name, among us as shepherds that feel the call of God upon our lives, that we have a holy calling to lead the sheep that represent God. Where has the message of repentance gone? And to me, Alan, it's been replaced. There's a new foundation that's being built. And slowly, as we're building on a wrong foundation many times, the whole house is going to come falling down because the foundation has to be built upon Christ and coming to Christ on his terms, not on our terms. Yes, we know about cultic groups. Yes, we have seen this in different movements, even within evangelical movements. But I want to speak to the shepherds. We are responsible for what we teach and what we preach. People are listening to what we are saying. It will influence the sheep, and we better represent the character and the message of God. It's time within the evangelical movement that we get back to the Word of God. When's the last time that I've been inside of a church that I actually heard a contextual message of God's Word being preached? When it's the last time you've been in a small group that they were actually teaching the book of Amos, the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, the Pauline letters, you went through Galatians, you went through Romans, you went through 1 Thessalonians. When's the last time that that happened within your small group? When was the last time that we talked about the principles of God's word from an original intent of what God was speaking to Jeremiah, what he was saying to him and what it meant? Now, this is what it means to you today. 2,600 years later, the same message is coming from the same God. You better live your life in a way that's pleasing to God. If you look contextually, God is speaking to the Jewish people that are in a covenant relationship with him. There was Jeremiah. There was Habakkuk or Habakkuk. There were a few voices, Zephaniah, during the time, same time frame that are speaking a message of repentance and the judgment of God if you don't repent and come right to God on his terms. God is not concerned about our buildings, our properties, our future, our destiny as far as our job advancements or how we're bettering ourselves as far as the future. He doesn't even care about the influence that we have. What God cares about, are we dying daily 
and living for God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is the message that we should be preaching. That's the message that we should be teaching. If we don't have that message, how can discipleship take place? If we don't understand that. So when I'm saying, Alan, this is something that should be applicable for us today within the evangelical movement. As a person that feels the calling of God upon my life, what am I doing to the sheep? Do I know God's Word? Do I understand God's Word? Do I study God's Word? Am I being led by the Spirit of God? Am I calling people to a life of prayer that submits themselves to the will of God within their lives? And we're dying daily. It's not about me. It's all about Him. If I'm a shepherd that's doing that, I believe I represent the God of the Bible. If I'm not doing that, then I'm leading the shepherd in the wrong, the, I'm leading the sheep in the wrong direction, and I'm destroying the sheep. I'm hurting the body of Christ. I'm not representing the good shepherd. And this is my heart as we look at this message today. Now, you might want to listen to this in phases because this is going to be a long one today. But please hear my heart. The first time that you speak a message like this, it must first speak to your own life. What I'm preaching, what I'm teaching, does it represent God's Word? And yes, we bring the good news. What is the good news? That I'm lost, I'm living in darkness, but now I have an opportunity to repent of my sins and put my faith, my faith in Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who died for my sins, and by faith in Him, I now can live a life where I can follow Him. What is that life? It's not about me because I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul describes it in this way. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I will live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. So what is discipleship? Denying myself. Church is not about me. Church is not about what is good for me. I come to a body of believers. I die. It's not about me. It's all about him, and it's all about ministering to others, and it's all about taking this gospel to people that do not know him. So I want to be his disciple. I repent of my sins. I put my faith in Christ. I stand complete in him. Now it's a road of dying to myself and living to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. This is something that's very important to the whole discussion. And I just want to bring this up. In the seeker-friendly movement that is dominating most of the evangelical world today, and however you want to describe it, seeker-friendly, there's many different terms for it. Their concept is not that they come into the church based upon repentance, the body of Christ. They've They've really cheapened the body of Christ in many ways. You come in just as you are, and then slowly down the road, we will start dealing with the sin that dominates your life. So you're already a member of the church without coming to the body of Christ based upon repentance and turning from sin, turning to Christ and putting our lives in Christ's hands and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. 
and walking away from sin. We can do that by the power of God's Spirit. But they're saying down the road, we will teach them, and then they will drop this sinful behavior within their lives. The problem is, when you don't come to God based upon repentance, discipleship will become very cheap. And what we're seeing, people within these churches, members of these congregations, still living in sin, still bound by sin, but saying, I'm right with God. When I'm living in sin, I need a shepherd that looks me in the eye and says, no. If you're living in sin, do not say that you're born of God. No one who practices sin, John talks about in his first letter, is born of God. You cannot live in sin. You cannot be in bondage in sin and say that you are right with God. I need a shepherd to look me in the eye and say, Scott, You've got to stop this. You've got to truly come to God with repentance and put your faith in Christ and allow the power of God's Spirit to change you from the inside out. That is the message that has to be on the forefront. Not a a year after I've been in the congregation. This is not a church growth model that we're trying to present. We're presenting the gospel to people. We're presenting discipleship. And Jesus on the front end looked at his disciples and says to them, if you don't hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children, what he is saying, if you don't hate everything that is around you, even the good things in your life, if you don't hate these things in relation to your faith in him, you cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying to them is, I have to be first in everything in your life. He doesn't do that at the end of their journey, he does that at the beginning of their journey. And then he asks them, calculate the cost. Is it worth it? Is this road worth it to you? It's not an easy road. It's going to be a difficult road. And you have to choose within your life. Who begins to build without having the ability to complete the task? Everyone will ridicule you because you began to build, but you didn't have enough to complete building what God wants you to build. Jesus confronts his disciples on the front end, and it's about repentance, laying down everything to God. Think about the rich young ruler. How can I have eternal life? What is it? Sell everything that you have. The most important thing within his life was his possessions. He gave him status within society. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. He could not do that. That wasn't after two years of following him. That was in the initial conversation with the rich young ruler. This is what is missing. Shepherds, listen to the voice of the good shepherd. The people coming into our congregations, it's not about growing a big church. It's about discipleship. It's about repentance. It's about coming to God on his terms, and seeing the kingdom of God built. What you're involved in is church transfer. And we're seeing church transfer taking place all over the Western society. And at the same time, less people are going to church at any time. The kingdom is getting smaller and smaller because of these church growth models. Jesus was downsizing his, those that wanted to follow him to get to true discipleship. But those individuals, after his death, after his resurrection, after they are filled with God's spirit, they turn the world upside down. Amen. This is what I'm saying. 
And please hear my heart. I'm speaking to myself. It's so easy to go and give people what they want to hear. But what God is wanting from us, He is the Good Shepherd, is to bring His message to a people that desperately need it. Sometimes that message rebukes. Sometimes it reproves. Sometimes it exhorts. Sometimes it's breaking down. Sometimes it's building up. We have taken out the rebuking and the reproving from the front end, and so discipleship is very, very cheap. I'm going to give you some last words on that, uh, Alan, before we move on. Any thoughts concerning that? Yeah, um, the, the phrase uh, comes to mind, you know, you have, you have one job. We say that in the U.S. a lot, kind of jokingly, you know, you had one job. But that's really the shepherd. You have one job is to protect the flock and to guide the flock. And the only way you can do that is by understanding how God is telling you to shepherd them. It's not about you. Like you said, it's about the flock and you protecting them. And, and when, you, when you were talking about the seeker-friendly movement, you know, and letting people into the church when they haven't gotten rid of these issues or haven't renounced them, you know, as a shepherd, if you have 100 sheep, are you going to let this thing come in in your flock and, you know, be able to, you know, influence these other sheep around you. Maybe this, whatever it is, leads them in the wrong direction. That's, you're not doing your one job. And that's so visual in my head of that, of, of a shepherd letting something into the pasture that should not be there, that is going to hurt and is going to kill the sheep or is going to pull them away or drag them out. And that's it. That's, that's the one job as a shepherd God has given you is to protect this flock. And when Jesus the great shepherd, he laid his life down physically on the cross for his sheep. Um, and that's what he's calling you to do. And that's what he was calling, you know, Israel to do. And the shepherds there in that, in, you know, that we read first thing in Jeremiah. And it's, it's not about you. It's not about what they want to hear. It's are you protecting the flock? And the only way you can do that is by understanding God's heart for his people and what he wants them to know and to see throughout the entire Bible. It's a message of repentance. Turn from your ways. Yeah, God wants to bless you. He gives you good things. He's the good shepherd. But you have to make that decision before, you know, to say, I'm going to give this up and I'm going to follow you, whether that's a tough thing for me to give up. That's a hard decision for me to do, whether I need to leave this situation, this job, whatever the case is, doing that first. And then God's going to guide you. And same thing with shepherds and pastors, not preaching that you can do what you want and God's going to bless it, but saying, here's what the Lord's saying, because I care about you, I love you, and my one responsibility is to protect you, just yeah. as the Lord protects us. Very much. And I want to say that anyone will say, well, you're expecting someone to be perfect when they come into the body of Christ. Absolutely not. Our perfection is in the Messiah. But there has to be a, a repentant heart for the sin that has taken hold of our lives. Think about John the Baptist. His whole ministry was preparing the way for the Messiah. What did he preach? Repentance. Repentance. A repentance of the heart, coming to God from the heart. And what we're saying, John the Baptist preached sin, turning away from sin. We're afraid of that today. We're afraid to even classify sin. We're afraid of the government. We're afraid of what people will think. We're, we, I've talked to shepherds, pastors, that we're afraid of not being relevant anymore. I don't care about that. Shepherds should not care about 
people respecting us, people thinking that we're relevant, that we have a great message for today. Shepherds need to know the Word of God. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance from the heart that opened the way that they could see who Jesus is. And the ones that repented of the heart that came to God were primarily the sinners, ones that knew that they were sinners, that had been kicked out of the synagogues, and they knew that they needed help. So I'm not talking about a person that's just coming in and has got everything right within their lives. I'm talking about a person that is crying out to God like the sinner at the temple, beating his chest and saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's what I'm talking about, a repentive heart that comes to God, that sees that Christ is his only way, and he's crying out, Jesus, save me. I put my faith and trust in you. So it's not about church growth. It's not about clicking a button. Now I'm a member at the church and I get in growth track 101. It's not about that. It's not about later dealing with the issues within our life. It's about right now a message of repentance. I'm not right with God. If I'm a believer and I'm getting pulled into sin, repent. That message needs to be there. Repent of that before it gets a hold of your life and destroys your life. There has to be a continual, constant message of repentance within the body of Christ for the non-believer and to the believer that we die daily. That's what we're talking about. And those that repented saw Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Those are the ones that followed him. We've taken that out of the equation many times. God, forgive us. God, put us back on the right ground. Another thing that I'm going to mention before we move on, and we're already at 47 minutes, but it's okay, is that the shepherds have to know the Word of God again. And I'll be very honest with you. I've been living overseas for 20 years. When I say very honest, I should say very direct, because as believers, we should always be honest. I come back and I cannot fathom the lack of biblical understanding within the pulpit, within the staff, within the youth ministries that we have today within America, within the small groups, within the believers. And this is not to break anyone down. I just, I'm telling a, a general understanding of what I am seeing. I go to believers today and I will say, what does the prophet Amos say to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom? They cannot tell me the first thing. It used to be a long time ago. Everyone knew Galatians and Romans. But I say, I'll say to them, can you tell me what Galatians says? They cannot tell me 90% of the time. I'll go to a minister of the gospel. Some of them, I'm going to be careful with my words. Some of them, they get their messages on the internet. They're trying to put together a home-run sermon. We talked about this in hermeneutics. A topical message where they're proof-texting the Bible to fit that message, yet they don't even know the first thing about the, the verses and the passages in which they're quoting. And they love God, and they have a faith in Christ, but they're getting caught up into a world that they have to look, step back and look at it. Do I know God's Word? Have I studied to show myself approved? A workman needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy, who's an evangelist. Study. Have we truly studied the book of Isaiah? 66 chapters. We should know Isaiah inside and out and what God was saying to Isaiah, to the Jewish people, 
and to the nation of Israel. Israel still existed for part of his ministry, for about 20 years of his ministry, the northern kingdom. Do we know the prophet Isaiah? Do we understand that everything that God spoke through Isaiah still speaks to us today? The whole gospel is there in Isaiah. Shepherds, pastors, leaders, elders, however you describe yourself, let's get back into the Word of God and build a biblical foundation in the church again today. Remember what God said through Isaiah at the end of his life of 60 years of ministry. He says, I'm not interested in a temple. I'm paraphrasing there, the first two verses. But what I'm interested in an individual that is humble, that is contrite in spirit, and that trembles at my word. Such a reverence for the word of God. I don't want to speak a message. I don't want to teach a sermon or teach a class without really praying, seeking God, and studying what God meant to those people. I'm going to take the same principle and give it to these people here today. There needs to be a holy reverence for that within the body of the Messiah. The last thing that I want to say about Jeremiah 23, to me, this is one of the greatest prophecies in the Old Covenant. In this context about woe to the shepherds and how the shepherds scattered the sheep because they were not preaching the right message representing God, and then a promise that a day that God will give the people good shepherds that represent him, right after that becomes one of the greatest prophecies. In this context, God is going to promise one that will come from David. I want to read these verses, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. Yahweh, or the great I am, the Lord our righteousness. So in the midst of Israel being destroyed because of the shepherds not representing God and a promise that one day he will raise up shepherds over them that will tend the sheep, he goes on to prophesy about a day that is coming that one will be coming from David, the branch that will come up from David, a righteous branch. This is a reference to the Messiah. The branch in the Hebrew scriptures in every single context, whether you're looking at Isaiah 4, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, say Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah 6. Uh, when we're looking at these different places, I believe also in Jeremiah 33 as well. When you look at these places in every writing commentary that is dealing with the Messiah, they all say this is the Messiah. There will be a branch that will come out from David, from Jesse, and this branch will be the Messiah that will bring in God's kingdom. Now look at what this branch will do. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. Backing up a verse, he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. 
all these things of being a shepherd that truly represents God will come through the branch that will come from David, a righteous branch that will fully and truly represent God in every way. This is the name by which he will be called, Yahweh, yod heh vav heh in your Bibles in English, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that means comes from Exodus 3.14, the great I am, I am that I am have sent you. This branch will be called the Lord, our righteousness. He will fully shepherd the flock. He will fully represent God. He will bring in the righteousness of God, the salvation of God, Everything will be put into right order because he will be, in my understanding, contextually, especially as we go to John chapter 10, he will be the good shepherd. Now let's move on. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 11. I wanted to look at this chapter. It's the saddest chapter to me in the whole Bible for the Jewish people. And we're not going to look at the whole chapter, but I encourage you to go and read this whole chapter because it's about Zechariah standing in the gap and becoming the shepherd and going through this understanding of him representing God to the Jewish people. At this point, historically, Israel was destroyed, Judah was destroyed, Judah and Benjamin and all the refugees that came out of Israel into Judah are in Babylon And now a remnant has gone back into the land and is there with the task of rebuilding the temple. And there are Jews, Benjamites, Israelites, but they're going to be known as Judah, the Jewish people going back into the land, and they haven't completed the rebuilding of the second temple. So Zechariah and Haggai, which comes a little bit before Zechariah, is in this context of encouraging the people, get busy with doing what God has called you to do. But chapters 9 through 14 are some of the most incredible chapters about the Jewish people, the Messiah, prophecy, the end times, all of these things come within these chapters. Chapter 11 is the saddest chapter because Zechariah is going to see through God telling him what to do that a day is coming that the Jewish people are going to reject God as their shepherd for 30 shekels of silver. Judah's going to do this. And let's just read a few verses, verses 12 through 17. I, I have preached and taught for hours and days sometimes just on this chapter here. But let's look at verse 12. I said to them, it is God speaking through Zechariah, if it is good in your sight, speaking to Judah, give me my wages but if not, never mind. So they, the Jewish people, weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord, Yahweh, or Jehovah, this is the personal name for God. Again, the yod heh vav it means the great I am. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I, God, was valued by them, Judah. This is what Judah thought about God as their shepherd. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and I threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut in pieces my second staff, 
union. The first half earlier in the context was favor to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel, which I believe is symbolic of a great scattering that is going to take place. And if you look it into the context of the whole Tanakh, the old covenant, that if God is not your shepherd, you will be scattered. Destruction will come. The Lord said to me, he is speaking to Zechariah, take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. What is being said here prophetically in the time of Zechariah, this is about 520 B.C., a time is coming that the Jewish people are going to reject God as their shepherd. For 30 shekels of silver, this magnificent price that God as their shepherd was valued, for 30 shekels of silver, the price of a gourd slave, they're going to trade God as their shepherd and God's going to hand them over to a worthless shepherd. What I'm saying to you, when they rejected Yeshua, the Messiah, the representative of God, his holiness, his righteousness, the very image of God, of the invisible God, his salvation, everything about God. This is God coming to us. This is God in the flesh. This is the Father sending the Son. By rejecting him, they're rejecting God as their shepherd. You cannot reject the Messiah and say, God is my shepherd. Please never lose sight of that. And when Judah, Judas, that's his Greek pronunciation, but his name is Yehuda. When Judah betrayed the Messiah, he was representing the nation and the people that was rejecting God as their shepherd, this magnificent price. And what was the price that Judah betrayed Jesus? 30 shekels of silver. And then God handed them over to a blind shepherd who would have a withered hand. He would not be able to protect them and he would not be able to guide them in the things of God. When Yeshua is going to the cross, he stops, and what does he say? Don't mourn for me, mourn for yourselves. Because the day is coming, he's speaking to the Jewish people, you're going to cry for these mountains to fall down upon you. The blessed one within the Jewish people is going to be the woman who is barren. That's completely different in a Middle Eastern culture. Your identity as a woman is through your children, but you're going to be blessed if you didn't have children. Because if you reject him, they were rejecting him. They were saying, crucify him by rejecting him. If this is what's taking place when the tree is green, what's going to happen when it's dry? When God is no longer with you, when God is no longer protecting you, when God is not guiding you, what's going to happen? Jesus is saying, going to the cross as they're rejecting him. He's dying for them, but they're rejecting him. Don't mourn for me. Mourn for yourselves. He understands this prophecy that God was speaking through Zechariah. Let me just say this before we move on to John chapter 10. Please read Zechariah chapter 12. Because at the worst time in Judah's history is Zechariah chapter 11. But the greatest promise is going to come in Zechariah chapter 12. 
Because when you look in Zechariah chapter 12, there is also a time that's coming after chapter 11 that God's going to pour out a spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they're going to look unto me, God is going to speak through Zechariah, and they're going to mourn from the one whom was pierced. In fact, I'm going to read, you, read it for you so I don't misquote it. Chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication or prayer so that they will look on me, God is speaking, whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. There is a day that is coming and the weeping is going to be like the day in which they wept over Josiah. A day is coming where God's going to pour out a spirit of prayer, a spirit of grace, and they're going to look unto God whom they pierce. When did they reject God as their shepherd? Zechariah chapter 11, when they rejected his Messiah. When are they going to come back to God? After God pours out a spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication, and they look upon God in whom they have pierced. When did they pierce God? When they pierced his Messiah. And they're going to come back and weep bitterly over what happened. They're going to come back to their Messiah. A day is going to happen where they're, not, they're no longer going to be under the worthless or the foolish shepherd. They're going to come back to God through their own Messiah, and God will be their shepherd again. And the nations that will come against Israel and against Jerusalem, you better watch out because in that day, you're going to be fighting against God. God will be their shepherd again. This is Zechariah chapter 12, and we're waiting for that day where Israel, the Jewish people, see their identity back to their God through their Messiah, the one in whom they pierce. Praise God. Let's go to John chapter 10. We're at one hour and one minute here. And the main passage for me is John chapter 10. Let's look at this passage, and I'm going to read it, and then just talk briefly about it. And hopefully everything we have talked about will come alive in such an incredible way here. Truly, truly, I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. You can only come through the door, and Yeshua, Jesus, is the door. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Here we're going to see that Jesus is the door, he is the shepherd, and his sheep know his voice. If I am speaking for God right now, if I'm speaking the message that represents Jesus and the gospel, then those that truly know him know that this is a message coming from God's word that represents God because they know the voice of the good shepherd. Now, we can get deceived. The Bible talks about deception and times of deception. 
But if you know him, you have a relationship with him, you can look at this and know, does this represent the Father? Does this represent the Good Shepherd, the Messiah who represents the Father? This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The only message as shepherds that God has placed upon us is to bring the message of the good shepherd. He is the door. There is no other way to the Father. There is not any other message that we have except the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Yeshua did for the Jewish people. He laid down his life for the sheep and that salvation could come from Israel to the world, which was what Israel was always promised to be. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Any shepherd that is doing this and not representing God, and not representing his Messiah, and you're doing it for money, and you're doing it because it's a profession, and it's something honorable to do. When the sheep really need you, and times of distress, and times of difficulty, and the enemy is coming, the one that is a hired hand, what is he going to do? He's going to save himself and run his own direction. He's going to protect himself. That is not the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And for Jewish people that are listening that may not understand what I am saying here, Yeshua, your Messiah, laid down his life for you, for the sheep. You were the sheep. You were the fold. You were the house of Israel. He laid down his life for you. He didn't run away from the altar of God. He he went to the altar of God. He said, not my will be done, but Father, let your will be done. He laid down his life for you. I am the good shepherd, verse 14, and I know my own and my own know me. People that have come to God through Yeshua, the Messiah, through Jesus, the Christ, they know God. They're in a relationship with God. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. That is the nations. That is the Gentiles. Israel was always promised to be a light to the nations, to build a house to the nations, that a people that did not know God, they would know the God of Abraham as their God. That is fulfilled through the good shepherd, the Messiah of Israel. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. And what I am saying here, there is only one shepherd. God is our shepherd. There is only one way today to know him as your shepherd through his Messiah who laid down his life to bring God's salvation to the world. He is the Messiah of Israel. He is the Messiah to the nations. He is the only way to the Father. There's not two ways. He is the good shepherd. And for anyone that rejects him, They're rejecting God as their shepherd. And there are many shepherds out there, but they're just hired shepherds. They will leave you during times of distress. But anyone that represents God and represents the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in times of distress and times of difficulties, they will not run away from the calling. They will be like Yeshua, the good shepherd. They will lay down their life for the sheep. We... Today, if we are a shepherd, if we are given the responsibility to look over the flock that God has given to us, the only way that we can lead them in the right way is to follow the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And if we don't lead people to Him, we are scattering the sheep. We are destroying the sheep. We're doing damage to the body of the Messiah. It is his body that he laid down his life for the sheep. It is our responsibility for them to put their eyes upon him. And today, if you're listening to this, die to yourself, live for Christ, understand the words of Paul when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. He is the good shepherd. Follow him. Only listen to me as I represent him. Only follow me as I follow Christ. He is the only way to the Father. He is the good shepherd. Follow his message. Do not follow the messages of those that don't represent the Good Shepherd. This is my message to you today. God is our shepherd. And I want to end as we began. I want us to go back to Psalm chapter 23. And I want to look at this psalm that David wrote this under a covenant relationship is not the new covenant that God promised to Israel, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. We can understand these words in a greater understanding than even David understood it because we're on this side of the cross, the sacrifice for our sins. We have eternal salvation that David could only point to in his faith, but we, have, we understand it today, the finished work on the cross by the power of God's Spirit. And let's listen to Psalm 23 one more time and understand the Lord is my shepherd. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word was preached in the right way. It was taught in the right way, and it represented you and your character and your message and your gospel. And I pray that the Good Shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that fully represents you, O God, that we will follow him, his message. And if there's any message that's out there that's leading us the wrong way, God, let that be broken in our lives. And Heavenly Father, your sheep know the voice of the Good Shepherd. And Lord, let us recognize that voice and only follow the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our prayer today. God, you are our shepherd, and we place everything into your hands, and we're not going to walk in doubt and confusion and despair. We're not going to walk in a way we don't know who we are. The Lord is our shepherd. You are our shepherd, and we shall not want. God, everything is in your hands. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.